Mike uh, Sayers has been uh, exposing my lack of uh, keeping up with pop culture by sending me these things on uh, Facebook that are riddles and part of it has to do with something in uh, a recent movie and part of it has to do with something in the Bible. And I get the Bible part and I have no clue what the other part is, um, which is sad. But uh, when we were in England with my older daughter and her family, because that's where they live over Christmas and New Year's, um, my son-in-law was a film studies major, uh, which means he couldn't get a job. Uh, in his field, but he learned enough IT that he's making good money in that, so we're glad it worked out. And uh, we usually see about three movies when we're with them, um, and uh, that at least equals the output of what I see the rest of the year, <laughs> sadly. But uh, I know it, it probably doesn't rank up there with Star Wars or any of the great classics, um, but one that we watched was Arrival. Has anybody seen the movie Arrival. And yeah, Fran has good. I'm glad you remembered it. And uh, one, one of the endearing parts of, of the story, hokey as some of it was, is that uh, it's a linguist who is the hero. So anybody who uh, studies languages and can be the hero on a sci-fi movie, that, that makes my heart glad. And I thought I would use that as a, a springboard to uh, ask you a couple of questions, not rhetorical questions. I hope somebody will, will give an answer to them. If an alien or lots of aliens suddenly showed up hovering over Earth, and there was a linguist, as there was in that movie, who was able to learn their language and learn how to communicate with them. And um, the question was asked, we've heard that on earth you have things called churches. What's a church? And you learned their language. What would you say? Go ahead and say it in English. Just shout something out. place we gather to honor and worship God. A community. A community focused on the supreme being. Well, you, you guys are already a whole bunch of percentiles above, I think, the average person in... America, who would probably say something about a building. Uh, 
Absolutely. We got to think way past our own country. Amen. Got to think way past our own country. Got to think way past just people. Personal gain. So that's already a segue to my second question. If said alien, or if that's too silly, let's uh, turn it into a Somali Muslim immigrant. You might know one of those. You probably don't know an alien. Well, I won't go there. You might. But uh, (laughs) what's a healthy church? And Darren's already focused on a key issue, that of love. What else would you say are keys to a healthy church? Communication, and I heard two people communicating, and therefore I didn't catch either one of them. Amazing grace. Prayer. A sanctuary where you can pray. In the back. A perfect truth and grace. Thank you. I'm old. My ears are getting old, and I have a constant ringing in them that some of you someday may experience, so sorry I don't hear everything the first time. Anything else you would add to that? What makes for a healthy church? Thank you. The Holy Spirit is welcome and brings heaven down to earth. Tonight's passage, and we are in a series on the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. It's pretty much smack dab in the middle of the letters of Paul. And finding our identity and purpose. I am convinced that tonight's passage has a secret, mysterious, Hidden, melodramatic (laughs) key to a healthy church. Now, there was a poll not too long ago of some pastors around the country. And they were asked, what are the secrets? What's the key to a healthy church? And... The five answers that emerged most consistently were a focus on Christ, a willingness to serve. Number three is an interesting one. The right structure, namely that you've got small groups, so everybody is involved with somebody. Authenticity and transparency, that should warm scum's heart. And one... They've got a red line that Benjamin asked me about because our dictionary didn't recognize it as a noun in the plural. (laughs) Overcomers. We just don't have it easy all the time. Sometimes we have to hang in there and persevere and overcome some pretty difficult things in life. And then... I learned this from Dave two weeks ago since he was searching the uh, Internet so creatively. There was a 
consulting, Christian consulting organization that basically even more recently did the, the same kind of poll, only they came up with 10 commandments. I, I mean, 10 answers. <laughs> God exalting worship, empowering presence. I guess that's your Holy Spirit and outward focus, not just inward navel gazing. Servant leadership development, commitment to loving. There's the key to love, caring relationships, learning and growing. Several of you said community. Of course, in today's world, community means, as long as it's my way, but then that kind of defeats the purpose, right? <laughs> Personal discipline, stewardship and generosity, wise administration and accountability, networking with the regional church. And by the time I read all 15 of these, I said, nobody is looking at the first half of Ephesians 3. Is there anything possibly missing he writes in large capital letters, what are they all missing? That's a wonderful collection of things that you said, that they said. And, and Paul and other biblical writers would agree with all of those things in various places, but somehow they didn't notice Ephesians chapter 3. We probably ought to look at it. And see what it has to say. And when we do, we should remember where we've come from. In the last five weeks or so, we had two different messages look at the opening 14 verses. And this is my sort of casual paraphrase. <laughs> Paul says, hello. Hi, guys. And thanks to all three people of the Trinity, God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And Dave wonderfully summarized all that by saying, don't ask me about the ins and outs of predestination. <laughs> but notice that in everything that's happening, it's God who takes the initiative to move toward us. And then Fran came along in, in the second half of chapter 1, led us into Paul's prayer that we would have greater insight and understanding everything that we have in Christ. And these are not her words, they're mine. But basically, Paul says, I pray you know how really cool you have it spiritually if you're aware of what God has done, is doing, will be doing for us. And then Mike somehow turned 2, 1 to 10 into a romantic comedy. Now, that shows he's in touch with pop culture. I could not have come up with that. And again, not his words, but mine. Despite our crap, <laughs> seems to be a popular word here, so, you know, I can jump on the bandwagon. We've been resurrected with Christ through grace on steroids in order to do good. And then I was away last weekend. My mom's in hospice care, so I was in Wisconsin, what may be my last visit, probably my younger daughter's last visit. And on Saturday night, I said, Rachel, what would you be doing if you were back in Philadelphia? And, and she said, uh, well, I was going to go with some friends to see uh, 
the Black Panther. So that was my most recent dose of pop culture. A lot of fun. And I came home and I said, uh, friends, sum up. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sum up Dave's message last week. That was after I wrote this. <laughs> and she said, um, outsiders become insiders. That's pretty good. So uh, mentally replace what I got up there with that. But um, Gentiles, non-Jewish people are now being accepted with all the same privileges on equal terms with Jews. That's a lot to be thankful for. And Ephesians is also the letter of Paul where he prays more than in any other letter, not just at the beginning. He keeps breaking into prayer. And so Ephesians 3 starts with him praying some more. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and my Bible has a big, long dash at that point because he breaks off his sentence and never finishes it. And he goes off on a digression that takes up the whole rest of tonight's passage so that by the time we start next week with verse 14, Paul has to start praying all over again. For this reason, yeah, you just said that. No, that was 14 verses ago. <laughs> For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then we get the rest of the prayer. Now, I get distracted in prayer, but usually not immediately halfway into my first sentence. <laughs> what got... Paul so distracted. And that's the mystery, the secret, the hidden, the special insight that he's about to tell us. Let's read verses 2 to 5. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. Something went, went strange with my font, and it kept getting big and small. No, actually, I highlighted some key Words. <laughs> the recurring theme is a mystery, a secret. If Mike can turn part of uh, Ephesians into a romantic comedy, I can turn this part into a detective show. There's a mystery here, but it's a mystery to people in the past not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed. And that may mean to the extent that it has now been revealed, because certainly there was Old Testament prophecy. But now that Christ has come, there's a mystery 
disclosed. Not by... Well, if I started listing the detectives that come to mind, you'd know that the greatest decade for my TV watching was in the 1960s. (laughs) Perry Mason. (laughs) Talk to your folks. (laughs) Columbo. (laughs) Something that Paul's been given that He's convinced the Ephesians have heard about. He certainly would have preached it when he was there, but more people have been coming to Christ since he's left. That he was a steward of, he was in charge of, to administer, given to him by God's grace. It wasn't something he thought up. It's something he's already written about briefly, apparently in chapters 1 to 2, so there's a clue. And he hopes that by disclosing it, people will have greater understanding, greater insight than in the past. And it's something that God's apostles and prophets have been especially charged with passing on. What's the mystery? What's the secret? Well, let's keep on reading. Verses 7 to 13, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things Whoa, for once uh, the English didn't break up one of Paul's giant sentences. It just kept it. (laughs) His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Catch your breath. See some large font words again that just happened to pop out on my screen? Some of the same ones. He's still talking about making plain a mystery that was hidden and now made known. And uh, there's some other, there are quite a few other concepts in here that should look like we just read them earlier. It's a gift of God's grace. It was given to Paul. It's for the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He's an administrator of it. For ages past, it was kept hidden. Okay, I've heard all that. What's the mystery? Oh, same passage. Just changed the words that I made big. (laughs) Through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The mystery is not for 
Campus Crusade, wonderful as a movement as that is, I'm personally indebted to it for a lot of my Christian nurture. It's not for uh, a group of five believers who skateboard together and pray together afterwards, although they're part of the church. It's not for uh, some Christian fraternal organization. It's for places and people like us who not only gather together as believers and pray and love and have fellowship and hear the word and do everything that you all said, but also submit to a structure and an authority and leadership and do things like baptize and take the Lord's Supper. If necessary, have church discipline. If the church makes known this mystery, even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms will sit up and take notice. And those are expressions that Paul uses to talk about angels and demons. What will get the attention of people in our world and even unseen powers like angels and demons? The revelation of this mystery. Well, what is it? Anybody notice something I've done wrong? There's Ephesians 3, 2 to 5. There's verses 7 to 13. There's 7 to 13 again. Where's 6? I skipped a verse. Deliberately. <laughs> because it tells us what the mystery is. That through the gospel, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the ones who have never been considered God's people, are heirs together with Israel, the Jewish people, those who had been God's people exclusively, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. If you were to sum that up in one word, could you? Here's my stab at it. Unity! You know that song we sing every now and then, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing? Oh, no, it's Fount. That's right. <laughs> the secret, mysterious, hidden key, at least in this passage, to a healthy church is unity. But what does that 
look like? What did unity between Jew and Gentile look like? If I were allowed to unpack that single word in a single sentence, I would put it this way. Church should be a place where people get along with each other who have no merely human reason for doing so. Then even the demons will take notice. (laughs) You can find churches all over the world where almost every person you see is a cookie-cutter copy of the next one. Sometimes it's because they all speak the same language. Sometimes it's because they have the same ethnic group. Sometimes it's because they have the same socioeconomic bracket. It's hard. It's hard to find churches and it's hard to be a church that cuts across all those divisions because we just so naturally are attracted to people we have things in common with. But 12 and a half years ago, something very strange happened to Fran and me. Mike invited us to this crazily named church called Scum of the Earth that was meeting in a building that doesn't exist anymore. That's been replaced by a gas station and other things at the northeast corner of Josephine and Colfax. And we were not like the majority of people we saw there. There was no real, merely human reason that we would have ever met most of the people we met much less got along with them. Jesse wasn't there yet, but he came pretty quickly. I didn't know where this guy was coming from. He was so crazy. I didn't know anything about punk. Mike said, we've got some people who would like to be mentored. They haven't really had good father or mother figures in their life, and they'd love to meet you and Fran, and so we were paired. (laughs) God has such a great sense of humor. A few of you may know Alan Brooks. He was one of the rare African-Americans who hung around scum in those days. All kind, He was an artist. He was a Christian rap performer and singer, quite talented. Um, I'll be honest, he looked just like the kids I ran away from in high school because they beat up on people. <laughs> especially scrawny ones like me. Yes, I was once. And I just thought, God, you ha- either you arrange this or this is hopeless. 
little bit of awkwardness, we hit it off amazingly well. Fran got a woman who I haven't cleared the story with her. I won't tell you who she was. Some of you would know her, but at one point, uh, one of the staff said, yeah, nobody else could handle her, so we gave her to Fran. <laughs> they found out her, her New York background. And as we met people, they acted nice to us. Some of them even acted like they sort of liked us. I was utterly unprepared for that. A place where people get along with each other who have no merely human reason for doing so. And you may look around today at scum and say, well, a lot of people seem to be like each other. I bet you don't even know the amount of diversity that's here in terms of socioeconomic bracket. We can all dress down and cover it over. <laughs> in terms of background, brought up in a church or not, in terms of where we've lived all around the world and the country, in terms of uh, likes, dislikes. Eventually, Jesse will get to the age where he'll realize that number of people that know that much about punk rock are shrinking <laughs> I've been there since the beginning when people in Christ get along with each other who have no merely human reason to do so people have to ask what causes that Angels and demons have to sit up and take notice. That's a pretty exciting concept for me. Now, I'll admit, the left-hand model is a lot easier and a lot more common. And those are just 12 random categories out of several hundred we could pick and create little circles for them. And it's not often that you see them all thrown in and mixed up together. Because we might get mixed up. <laughs> but when it happens, and will there be friction? Yeah, it won't be easy. It's easy to like people who are just like you. But when you work through that, it is a marvelous testimony to the entire universe. It is a mystery that is still hidden to, unfortunately, most of the church. The early church, I think, knew about it. There are two quotations from second century Christian authors that I just absolutely love and am challenged by every time I read them. And I didn't put them on a slide. The one comes from a man named Tertullian who wrote just after the middle of the second century. And he says, it is mainly, and this goes right back to Darren's point, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble 
that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves would sooner kill. There's a question to think about. (laughs) I've actually had dreams. Somebody can psychoanalyze me. In which I've been in some public setting and... Somebody at scum, probably because of their appearance or behavior or both, is about to be attacked by an angry mob. And I have the ability to put myself in harm's way to try to protect somebody who looks and acts very differently from myself. And fortunately, in in all of those dreams, I do. And then I wake up as the mob starts approaching. (laughs) But have you ever asked yourself, would you die for somebody maybe that you don't know who's in this room right now? Or would you stand outside like we're hearing several police did in Florida while more people were being killed at school in Broward County? I can understand why they wouldn't run in there if they have no hope of eternal life. But a Christian shouldn't have to worry about that. Easy for me to say. I've never been in that situation. I hope I'd react that way. The other quotation comes from an unknown author writing to a Christian by the name of Diognetus. And he says, speaking of believers... They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. (laughs) Nothing about my country first. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry. As do all others, they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. In the Roman Empire, many, especially baby girls, were simply exposed to die after birth because they were not as wanted as boys. (laughs) They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all people and yet are persecuted by all. When punished, they rejoice as if made alive again. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks Yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that is what Christians are in the world. 
What an amazing compliment. What have people said that about us? Is there one person? Maybe here with us tonight, maybe someplace else. Who's a brother or sister in Christ and you know some reconciliation is needed? Or maybe there's somebody you've seen week after week, but just always shied away from, never even spoken to them. Or whatever for you might be the next step on a road to helping scum demonstrate just a little bit more unity. Good grief. The number of churches that squabble, when you see a church that doesn't and they love each other and they like each other, that's worth putting on Facebook. And a few other more significant news sources. Would you be willing to pray with me about that? Father, we love so much to do everything our own way. And we know that unity, whether it's with a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a child or a parent or someone we once were closer to than we are today, usually means swallowing our pride, doing things their way for a while. And yet the love and the transformation that can come of that so rewarding and encouraging that we pray for it here. We pray for unity on the staff, the church council, the other informal leaders, and among each person who calls scum their home. You know tonight, I certainly don't, where there is still resentment and conflict and maybe even hatred in our hearts for somebody who claims to know you. We know that we can only ever change ourselves. Would you help us to make the changes necessary so that if there is the slightest openness on the part of those people, that we could draw closer to them in a good way? Would there be people who stumble across our community or hear about it very intentionally, who will say, look how they love one another. Not like so many parts of our world that are fueled by hatred. Look how they are unified when so many fall apart 
into horrible conflict. That's our prayer tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.